you know, you, you come across so many executive leaders who are, who are well into their exact career, but feeling disconnected, feeling lonely at the top, feeling at a crossroads, overwhelmed, burnt out, whatever it might be. And, and so to us, it was about finding like, what's that missing piece that really addresses that experience executives have. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guests on today's episode of the Inspire podcast are Christine Myers and Rick Lash. And Christine is the managing director of Verity International. And Rick is a senior associate and executive coach at Verity International, though both of them have many more accolades behind those titles, uh, which you'll hear a bit more about. They join me today to talk about their new book. It's called Once Upon a Leader, uh, Finding the Story at the Heart of Your Leadership. Christine and Rick, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. As a fellow author, the blood, sweat, pain, and tears you go through to write a book. And so let me just start by saying congratulations. Uh, It's a great book. It resonates with me personally, uh, having, you know, kind of have a narrative in my mind that's changed over time and the need to kind of re-examine your narrative. So really love what you've written, and I think it's a great book. Tell me... What led you both to write this book? The, the way it worked was that this was an idea that I had been working on for probably the last two decades. Um, I had had several false starts, um, you know, as a full-time consultant uh, working for large consulting firms internationally. It was kind of hard to to find the time to actually, you know, kind of hopefully pull this together. And so, uh, you know, Christine, uh, who I've known for many years, who has been you know, a wonderful friend and a colleague and a client at, at one point in the past. Um, I approached her a couple of years ago to say, would you be interested in uh, writing this book with me? And um, and she, you know, jumped at the idea, but was also, I think, you know, I think we both recognized that we brought different aspects to my background as a consultant, um, as a psychologist, I've worked in career um, and have, you know, worked with large multinational uh, companies uh, over the many years. And I'll let Christine speak to her background that, you know, she comes from a different perspective, which is much more from the, you know, from a, from a business orientation. And, uh, and I think that the combination of, you know, sort of the, the psychology and the consulting and, you know, sort of, you know, Christine's expertise has made for a very powerful combination. So, and, and Christine, did you did you consider this a blessing at the time when Rick when Rick came to you with this idea, or was it now or and maybe now it's a blessing, or was it a curse? So, how, tell me how you received this idea and what led you to collaborate with Rick. You know what? It's it's interesting. I, I did jump at the opportunity partly because I have a great affection for Rick and have worked with Rick for so long, and and um, he has so much credibility in my mind. And then I think the second piece, like if you think about the genesis of the book, like for me, my background is different than Rick's in the sense that I've worked in professional services now for a number of years as a consultant. But prior to that, I was in industry and running leadership development in, you know, many different organizations um, 
in many different industries. And, and over time in the field, I don't want to use the word cynicism, but in some ways it's the first one that comes to mind. You start to develop a bit of cynicism around exec development and are we doing everything we can to close the gaps and support executives in their leadership and just this nagging sense that, you know, we, the industry wasn't quite hitting the mark. And, and what, there's some kind of And what gap. specifically, sorry, the, um, what specifically was not being addressed that then that you felt this book could tackle? A large part of exec development continues to center around skills, strategic thinking, enterprise mindset, you know, like how do I upgrade a leader's skills from moving from a functional leader to an executive leader? And then we sort of like kind of tack on, oh, and we should build some insight and something around meaning and purpose and maybe even something around storytelling. And that kind of gets tacked on as as a subcomponent, but we think it's bigger than that. And so to me, you know, you you come across so many executive leaders who are who are well into their exec career, but feeling disconnected, feeling lonely at the top, feeling at a crossroads, mm-hmm. overwhelmed, burnt out, whatever it might be. And and so to us, it was about finding like what's that missing piece that really addresses that experience executives have at that stage in their career. Yeah, I, I think that really resonates. You know, I, I've been in the training business for over two decades, and we are really focused on skill development rather than meaning, purpose, what drives people. And there's just this assumption, well, you know, it's the next position, right? And just get the skills. So can I add something to that for one sec? Because I think what's interesting, and Rick, you know, we've talked a lot about this. When we originally set out to write the book, it was all about executives and developing executive leaders. But I think over time, our thinking has really changed, which is this isn't just for executive leaders. This is a skill we need to develop in emerging leaders like you know, earlier in their career so that they're better equipped to step into these kinds of roles. So while the book was originally positioned for executives, I think the, in fact, we've had great feedback from readers so far to say, why is this just for executives? Mm -hmm. This would totally resonate for any leader at any stage. And Mm -hmm. we would agree with that statement. And what would you say in one sentence, the book will show you how to do? Um, because I think it will give you, as a leader, greater personal self-confidence, a stronger sense of your own purpose, an ability to be able to kind of weather the, you know, the the massive changes that are washing over everyone nowadays. Um, so, you know, I think that it is about, you know, giving them a greater sense of personal agency and ability to have greater control over their future. Um, a greater mm-hmm. sense of grounding, personal grounding in who they are and what they hope to achieve in their leadership. So let's start with the problem. And I know this is, you know, what you, having looked at the book, what you call this a weak narrator, weak narrative capacity. So what are some of the signs, Rick, that indicate to you <laughs> that this narrator is underdeveloped? Well, there are probably, you know, we would say maybe three or four, you know, signs that tell people that their narrator is in need of rehabilitation, so to speak. Um, you know, the first is, you know, I think as Christine alluded to before, is that, you know, just this general feeling of, of being lost um, and somewhat mm-hmm. disconnected from your purpose. I think many executives, especially having gone through, I wouldn't say just executives, as Christine said, this really applies across, you know, I think all leadership levels, is, you know, having through the past, you know, three years is that, you know, people are exhausted, they're tired, um, they're questioning why, why they're doing what they're doing. 
Do they want to continue to do what they're doing when they don't see any any kind of light at the end of the tunnel? And so I think that, you know, one is a sign of just feeling exhausted and disconnected from your purpose. That would probably be, you know, one sign. I think, you know, a second sign is often people who are promoted into um, sort of new levels of leadership where the demands are just different than what they've ever experienced before. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, what got them there isn't going to get them to the next stage. They're just struggling to continue to use, you know, sort of their old skills, their old, their own, their old abilities. But it, but they just can't seem to keep their head above water. But they don't know what to do differently. They kind of know at some level it's not about developing new skills or abilities, but they don't, they don't quite know like what's out of whack or what it is they can do to, you know, to help themselves to to be to be more effective. Those are, I think, the, the two the two main indicators. You know, again, that feeling of being lost and disconnected, a feeling of being overwhelmed. It's a little bit of like the, you know, the, the why people should read the book in the first place, because you talked right. about personal sense of agency. You know, I think the way to sum it up is, is when people have that experience of, you know, I've lost my, my own personal sense of agency in my role. Um, and there's other ways to say that I'm feeling out of control or I, I'm feeling, you know, like I'm under the water or I'm just, just, you know, trying to swim and keep my head above water. But I, I think that's, that's a big piece and a common experience for executives, but also for leaders at other various stages in transitioning through, through their own career growth and development. So, so this book is all about your narrator, this brain narrator. What is the brain narrator? Rick, and what does it do? Okay. So the simple answer would be is that the the narrator is um, it's a it's a coordinating mechanism whose job it is is to organize your memories into a coherent story that gives meaning and purpose to what you do. And everyone, of course, has these memories. And so yes. it's the story. So it's the story we tell ourselves about how they all fit together. And so for some of us, then we have these narratives that get us energized about the work we're doing. For That's others, correct. the opposite. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely correct that we we all have stories. We have self stories, which are stories about who we are and where we came from, and you know, what our values are and how our experiences all, you know, kind of meld together to express those things. So that gives us meaning and purpose and grounding. We have stories about, you know, our different roles um, that we play in life. And we need those stories in order to be able to function effectively in the different roles that we have. So stories, our ability to tell ourselves stories is absolutely essential for you know, for our success in the different sort of roles that we play in life. So Rick's explained the signs, or you both explained the signs of a weak narrator and how it can impact you in terms of being burnt out or disconnected. How does it get to that point? Because I think most people, they start in a company, they have years, they're energized, they're moving up. And over time, this that story changes and they feel this disconnect. So Christine, maybe you could explain, how do you get to that point with that weak narrator? One of the analogies that we often use is comparing it to a muscle because that seems to resonate for people. But you know, in our early stages of life, in those formative years, our narrator has active inputs. Like if you think about you know, a young child or even a teenager and the experiences they have, 
you know, there, there's constant inputs, you know, life experiences, but also people, mentors, teachers, coaches who are actively exercising their narrator. <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? Like they're, act, they're, they're actively exercising the narrator and building that muscle for, for people. And that muscle becomes reasonably strong and it, it's, it's reasonably in control of kind of building and developing and shaping those stories and connecting those memories to create a sense of ourselves. But over time, as people enter the workplace, as people engage with organizations, face, you know, face increasing pressures, um, have other life experiences, the narrator tends to have fewer inputs that are actively developing it as a muscle. And as with any muscle, when it's not being actively exercised, it tends to atrophy. In this case, it just sort of fades into the background. And there are other sort of ready-made forces that we end up giving up control to who sort of become the new mechanism that coordinates our stories, whether that be the culture of the environment that we're in or the demands or the pressures around us or the pressures of life around us. So that narrator becomes, you know, a weakened, a weakened muscle that's not quite doing its job. Um, and what happens is people end up, you know, slowly they rely on an old narrative that's perhaps out of date or on these other pressures and forces that have sort of taken over control of, of the narrator and the coordinating role. So when you reach this point where you don't have the narrator strong, it's kind of out of muscle. How do you, how do you fix it? How do you get it back and consequently re-energize yourself? I think it's like any muscle. It, it goes back to the gym, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's recognizing that if, if your body's not working or the mechanics aren't working the way that you want it to, and, and you, you don't have the right muscles exercised and ready to play their role, then we send them back to the gym. And that's really what this book is about. I mean, ultimately, the whole second half of this book is the gym. Um, and it describes, you know, kind of a specialized gym that is designed to strengthen the narrator, to give, you know, control back to the narrator, or put the narrator back in control of our narrative um, and back in control of our, our story. That's where that personal sense of agency comes from. Okay, so let's go back to the gym. <laughs> let's go back to the gym. I know you have three guiding principles of how to, how to get fit, <laughs> how to get your narrator cut and ripped again. <laughs> so... What are those three principles? And then maybe take us through how each of them works. You know, we kind of use the analogy of building a house that, you know, there are three phases to the process. The first is, you know, to give people the opportunity to kind of go through a preparation phase where they have to basically kind of gather the materials that they need, the raw materials that they need in order to be able to construct their leadership narrative. You know, the second phase is focused very much on on building their narrative, which is really where the hard, the real hard work, uh, you know, goes into play. And most executives are are taken back by the both the emotional and the mental uh, effort that is actually required to to build their narrative and kind of re-engage their narrator in the process. Um, and then the third phase is all about activation. So you know, once leaders have developed you know, a, a draft narrative, so to speak, um, they go out into the real world and start conducting experiments with that narrative um, to both strengthen it, but also, you know, to give them the experience of, you know, what it's like having a strong leadership narrative and using it in the real world to engage others. So those are the kind of the three broad phases, Bart. We can, I guess, go into the details that, that fall under each one, but at a high level, those are sort of the, the, the three phases of the gym, as, as Christine described it. 
So Rick, take me, take me into principle one. How do I get started? How do I collect these building blocks? We begin by, you know, starting with the foundation. You know, we talk about the fact that, you know, narratives are, you know, consist of three core building blocks. Um, the first building block are the critical experiences um, that you've had, usually in the first two to three decades of your life, that really shaped your view of who you are and your view of why you've chosen to lead. And so, you know, that building block really requires people to do a bit of a deep dive into, into those first three decades of their life, um, focusing on those experiences that, you know, shaped their values, uh, the relationships that had the greatest impact on, on them growing up, and how that translated into uh, a growing sense of who they were as people and, uh, and how they viewed leadership. So that's kind of building block number one. The second building block is that we give people an opportunity you know, because narrative is not just about, you know, you're built on your core early experiences. It's also a function of your motives and what drives you. And so we provide people with an opportunity to assess their, uh, their, their motives. And, you know, we, uh, you know, we talk about their motives for, you know, to drive for achievement, their motives for affiliation, their motives and desire for power. Um, so, it, it, you know, drawing upon, I think, some, you know, good psychology when it comes to understanding what drives and energizes you. Um, and then the third building block is we, um, we get them to do a unique 360 exercise where um, they get input from uh, about a dozen people in their personal and professional life around the positive qualities that they see in, in you, as well as the uh, positive impact uh, they have had on, their, on the lives of others. And so, you know, they gather all three pieces of data. And then they begin to sift through it to kind of like you had alluded to earlier about Mark Twain, is that part of the challenge is, is you know, how do you distill that down to, you know, sort of the core elements? And usually there's not a lot, but there are a few core elements that speak most powerfully to their, to their leadership narrative. So Rick, give me an example of someone you worked with who went through this first step of collecting these building blocks and, and what he or she realized through going through that three-part self-assessment? So, so the one that I think comes to mind is a uh, healthcare executive. She was very much at a crossroad working in healthcare during the pandemic. You know, she also was, you know, very much, very much exhausted questioning her future. Um, but part of her, you know, was also beginning to question her longer-term ambition to become a CEO of a, of a, of a hospital, which she had always gravitated towards, had always believed that, that was true. But after having gone through, you know, the first you know, year and a half of COVID, you know, was beginning to question, is that what I really want? Right. Um, do I want to stay in healthcare? You know, the realization that, you know, she came to was that, um, you know, her real passion and what really energized her was not so much out of her, you know, desire to have a powerful CEO role, but was to have a meaningful impact um, on the broadest community possible. You know, some of the feedback that she got from other people around what they most valued in her was that she was a tremendous coach and a mentor, something that she kind of knew at some level, um, but the feedback that she got hit her between the eyes. She said she never realized the incredible impact she had on, on the lives of others and on their careers, which is what they talked about, and the, that was the feedback that they gave to her. Um, and she realized that, you know, when she was at her best was really when she felt that she was 
making a significant and meaningful difference. She recognized that she loved working with uh, impoverished communities, you know, underprivileged communities, and had, you know, implemented major change initiatives, which had resulted in, you know, significant changes and positive, had a positive impact on these groups. And so as a result, and having gone through, you know, this first step in the process was that she realized that the elements of needing to make a positive difference in the lives of others, you know, serving as a mentor and as a teacher to others, where she wanted very much and saw very much as being the core building blocks of her of her emerging narrative. So that she realized that that's what drove her, not the CEO title. So, okay, so let's turn yeah. to the sec the second principle, or which is recrafting or crafting your story. What do you do there? And then how did she work on that? This was, you know, probably the the most challenging part of the process for her. And so we gave her, um, one of the things that we, you know, we work with people is we gave a a structure, which was basically a three-part structure, which is, you know, answering three broad questions with a number of questions below it. The first question is, where do I come from? And this is where people have an opportunity and, you know, just a a few clear statements, you know, to say, what were those critical experiences that have really shaped me? You know, the second, uh, the second key question is, you know, what are the unique gifts that I bring, you know, to my leadership? And for this executive, you know, she recognized, as I said earlier, that her key strengths was really, was the impact that she had as a, as a coach and a mentor to others. Um, and, you know, and finally, the last question that we asked her to answer was, is, you know, what is the difference you want to make through your leadership? And this is really where she began to articulate, you know, her personal vision of the kind of impact she wanted to have in very particular kinds of communities that she felt were critical um, and aligned to her overall purpose. And so using that kind of three-part structure, this particular executive was able to, you know, craft a narrative that helped her to realize that she, um, her real purpose and her real desire and leadership was actually quite different than the narrative she had been telling herself for the past 25 years. Hmm. So you have this new narrative, and then I imagine the last step, and you alluded to this earlier, is to actually go out and tell it. <laughs> Talk to me about this and tell me how this executive went about doing that and what it led to. Your narrative is is internal to you. And it's not that created this narrative to go out now and give a speech, although some leaders have used elements of their narrative in their speeches. What we encourage people to do is to conduct what you know Hermione Ibera, uh, you know, who's uh, who's written much in the area of leadership, talked about conducting small experiments. And what we encouraged her to do was to take elements of her narrative and test it out with others. Um, in her case, one of the first things that she did with her narrative was is that she actually shared it with her team. Hmm. Um, went back to her team and kind of you know explained the development program that she had been on, why she went process, but then actually shared her story with her team. And she said it was quite transformative because, first of all, it helped her to clarify the key messages around what was most important to her in her own story or her own narrative. But what it enabled her team to recognize is that there were vulnerabilities in her story that they had never seen in her as as their leader. Um, And it also gave, gave them permission 
you know, for themselves to be able to begin to think about and articulate their own narrative and what it meant for their role and what it meant for the reason why they show up for work every day. And so her first little experiment with her team of sharing her narrative actually started to create stronger followership within her team by building that closer bond. Because, you know, in her in sharing her narrative, other people started to recognize elements of their own story as well. And how did it end up playing out? Did she then abandon her previously held aspiration to be a CEO and pursue a new direction in her career? Or did she stay on the path but was re-energized? Well, she continued in her current role. I mean, she okay. wasn't a CEO she right. was, you know, still a senior executive, but you know, while still being in her current VP role, she started to explore other opportunities. Um, but not necessarily by saying this is like exploring other opportunities in terms of you know looking for new jobs, but rather um, going out and conducting her own research, you know, with other people who she, you know, some people who she already knew, but other people who were kind of in a very different field, fields that she normally wouldn't have explored, but with her new narrative, it became clearer that those fields potentially could be quite aligned with her new emerging narrative. So she felt more like she had new potential paths and new doors that she could open. You know, this is a healthcare executive that's in the middle of trying to bring a team through an incredibly complex right. um, crisis, piece, right, or time, right, and crisis. and. So I, I think her narrative has served her twofold. One is to enable her to engage people, re-energize people, um, you know, and give people, or I guess engage people and, and re-energize people around the work that they do during such a complicated and fatiguing time. Mm-hmm. In addition to, I think it's allowed her to take a step back from what she thought was a career trajectory and start to install or put some of the alternative steps in place, which is expanding her network in a new and a unique way that is unusual for a healthcare executive to explore in a more fulsome way, you know, what her future looks like. That's super helpful, Christine. And that really illustrates, you know, someone who is losing their faith in their path, goes through this process, self-analyzes, builds those building blocks, defines the new narrative, and then goes out and tests it how it can re-energize you for your current job, but also open new doors. So th- thanks, Rick and Christine, for sharing that story and for sharing the, you know, the three principles, the three phases of sending your narrative back to the gym. So I know we're, we're coming to the end of our conversation and, and you, you've really given some great insights into why you wrote the book. And so just to sum it up so that I, I have it, you know, if, you, if you're listening, whether you're in a senior position or not, if you're feeling at a crossroads, if you're feeling disconnected, if you really don't know why you're doing what you're doing anymore, it, it may be that the narrative that you had previously exercised, the narrative muscle to knit your memories together and give you purpose needs to go back to the gym. And, and probably the easiest way to do it sounds like is to buy the book. <laughs> uh, did <laughs> I, and, and read it, but did I get, Christine, did I get that right? Have I captured in essence, what your book is all about? Yes, I, I mean, I, I think so. And I think the last empowering message that we would leave people with is like, is the best part, which is it's already within you. This mm. isn't a new skill or something you have to go out and, and find and fix and figure out. This is 
this is a, a skill you already had. It's a muscle you already had. It's already there. And it's within you to, to regain that sense of personal agency by doing the work. Yeah, it's hard work, um, but the payoff is, is huge um, and the payoff is important. I love it. And I think, you know, it's within you now. You know, I've had I've had several guests on the pod over the years who have talked about the importance of purpose. You know, I think many years ago when Simon Sinek, you know, gave that great talk, start with why and then wrote the book. You know, we are driven increasingly by a desire to have meaning and purpose in what we do. And what I think your book does well is it doesn't just say have a purpose. It really equips you to understand the muscle that connects you with that purpose and how to rebuild it. So thank you for writing the book. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We'll link to the book in the show notes. It's available across Canada. It's available online and Amazon. Um, people can also, I know, connect with you on LinkedIn and of course, hire you, hire Verity uh, to help do this work directly. So thanks, Rick. Thanks, Christine, for coming on the Inspire podcast. Thanks very much. Bart. Thank you, Bart. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christine and Rick, our last episode of season four. And I want to thank you for listening. This is our most listened to season yet and some great conversations. So I always welcome your feedback. Please comment on the pod. Tell me what you like. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Send me a message. It's always welcome. And if you are enjoying the show, please rate and review it. It's helped us build a great following. So thank you for being part of the Inspire podcast in season four. Stay tuned. We're on a break and uh, we'll be back in Q2 of 2023. Until then, may all your words be inspiring.